Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. Satisfied. How many of you know what satisfied means? It means you're full. That's a good thought. What else? Define satisfied. Happy with things around you. Content. Pleased. Others. The middle schoolers are slaying the high schoolers on definitions of words here. Come on, right? It's like they're all like, bing, bing, bing. The high school's like, huh? S-A-T. Yeah, that, you lo- I lost you at that, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right? Who's taking SATs right now? Anybody in the midst of that insane process? <sighs> so fun, right? Or ACTs? Same thing, kind of, but not, I know. Seriously. Oh, stop, Nate. Easy. Oh, SATs are easier? Dang, I wish I would have known that because I didn't. I took the ACT once. was just like, I'm done. No, wait, I did the SAT. I don't remember. Doesn't matter anymore, does it? Anyway, so that's totally not related. But, um. So we're going to talk about being satisfied all month long, okay? And there's some, some process that we want to talk to you about, and there's some, like, reality we want to talk to you about. And hopefully we, all of this comes with a good level of revelation for all of you, okay? Who can tell me what revelation means? Because that's important. We use that word a lot around here. It's like one of the books of the Bible, you know, that too. What does revelation mean? I shouldn't have done the candy. It's just totally gone. I got a red one. <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, what does revelation mean, Abby? Realizing something. A pif- what does epiphany mean? That's too big a word for me. I don't know. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Revelation. What is, what is the root word of revelation? Anybody know? Rev. Rev. Reveal, again, middle school, killing it tonight. What the heck? All right, no. Tune in, senior high. Here we go. Seriously. So if the root word of revelation is to what? Is to reveal, then when we talk about things in God's word and we talk about principles, concepts, ideas, and all this stuff, and we say, I hope you get revelation on this, what does that mean? Abby, I'm going to give somebody, hold on, Abby. Anybody else want to give it a try, or is Abby going to win this whole thing? Okay, Justin, reveal what? What? Something, anybody? If we hope that you get revelation out of what we're talking about, then what? We're hoping that something, what? That gets revealed in your heart, okay, by the Holy Spirit. It's not just like, oh, I read that word, and I never read satisfied before. Oh, now I was revealed what satisfied me. No, it's like it's something that happens when you read something, you hear something, you get this, like, cognitive thing that happens in your brain, and you, like, process information. But then somewhere between here and here, the Holy Spirit goes, whew, translates it, and your heart receives it as something real. Does that make sense? It's a revealing of truth. 
And that's what's really amazing about God's Word is you can read this and read this and read this and read this and read this. And And there's guys that study the Bible for 70 years and still get revelation on a regular basis because it's not just the information you read in God's Word. It's when the Holy Spirit takes it and reveals what God is saying to you personally. Does that make sense? He takes the word of God and says, no, this is not just written to the world. And it is. But it says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts right to the marrow of your bones. Which is like, it's just a metaphor for like the core of your being. Okay? It's like you get to your, down to nothing left but a skeleton. Let's go into the middle of the skeleton. You got marrow. It's like this is the word of God pierces in and reveals his truth for specifically you. It's called revelation. Do you follow that? And there's general revelation that happens, and then there's very specific revelation that happens. And the Holy Spirit does specific revelation just for you because it's fun. Are you with me on that? He's just like, this is going to be awesome. So, like, I could read a verse one day, and you could read a verse, the the same verse, the same day or a different day or whatever, and it could mean, quote, and don't, like, take this out of context, it could mean very different things to us at very different times in our life. Does that make sense? I'm not saying the Bible just means whatever for whoever. God is very specific with his word, but you can get specific revelation that I would get, it it would apply very differently to my life. Does that make sense? God's word is truth, and it's not just like fluid, like, oh, whatever works. Any way to get to God, like, okay, okay. It's not universalism. It's not unitarianism. It's like one way, Jesus only. Now, when you get Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, and now the word of God comes alive for your life. So you can study the Bible your whole entire life and never get Jesus, and you'll never get any revelation out of it because all you're doing is processing information. Are you with me? Good. So that's what we're hoping for is revelation, okay? Because how many of you desire something more than what you have right now? Ding, 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 right? Okay, has anyone in here read the entire Bible beginning to end? Anyone? A few of you? I, you know, I, like, I had to in college for Bible class. I was like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, right? Right, but I did it, you know, like, and I've done it a couple different times, not like straight Genesis to Revelation, because man, I am ADD and it does not work. I'm sorry, it's okay. No, no, the pastor doesn't read it, Genesis to Revelation. No, it's like I've read the entirety of the Bible a number of times, but way out of order. And that's okay. Does that make sense? But here's the reality is like you can get, I totally kind of forget where I was going exactly with, but you can read the entire Bible. And it doesn't necessarily mean you get it. Does that make sense? Because there's so much in it. And that's why people read it over and over. It's like Bible in a year plan. How many of you have started a read your Bible in a year plan? Yes. Only like 10 times the number of people that actually have read through the Bible. It's like that's, whew. I know. New Year's resolutions are really wonderful. But So here's the deal, though. We're talking about being satisfied this month, and I want to say to you that there's something about God's Word that always leaves us a little bit, like, on edge for more, okay? And I was really kind of wrestling with this whole thing. Like, we pick satisfied, and I'm like, well, like, are we really ever totally satisfied with God? Because, like, we obviously always want more, right? 
Because you think of satisfied and you think, oh, I was really hungry. I went to Burger King and I got the five for $4 deal. Score. Anyway, five items for $4. Amazing. And you leave satisfied. Right? I know, right? Maybe. Okay. Or Chipotle, pick your restaurant, right? You leave, you came in hungry and you walked out satisfied in your stomach, right? You're at least like, good, I ate. I'm not starving anymore. Sometimes you walk out of a restaurant going, I will never eat again. Oh, my gosh, right? Does that happen to anyone else? Buffets. I love a bocce buffet down here, but every time I leave, I'm like, I am stupid. Next week, I am stupid. Like, I just don't learn, right? I get, like, oversatisfied when it comes to a buffet, right, Dylan? Do you do this too, Dylan? Totally. It's like, how many of you get stuffed too many times? Every holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you're like, by the end of the day, you're just like, what have I done? Like, it's so bad, right? And, I, and it starts to show. Anyway, so, anyway, so we're going to get, we're going to get into the word of God here. I'm not just going to babble all day, all night long. Okay. So listen, I was totally fascinated when I went to look up in the dictionary. Thank you. Whoever said, look it up in the dictionary. I think it was Serena or somebody. Rebecca, look it up in the dictionary. I did. Not Revelation, but I looked up satisfied in the dictionary, and here's what it says. It says content, which somebody said, right? Like that, was, that one came out. And then this one is really interesting. And I like this because of what we're talking about this entire month. It says convinced. And it says, like, it uses, like, as in in an argument. Like, you can satisfy an argument. If someone is like, well, you can be like, well, and you can satisfy an argument. Which means to be convinced. You can convince a situation. And I think that's where I at least want to start tonight and talk to you guys. Because we want to give you some really good tools this month to live a satisfied life. Is that cool? So we're going to review some fun stuff, and we're going to go, like, each night is going to be a different topic. We're going to do a night of all worship this month. Oh, you don't have to hear me at all. No. Okay, so that's going to be good. We got Josh McGreedy's coming. Is that, like, for sure? And he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit with you guys, and dang, oh, my gosh, right? And then um, we are also going to be talking about devotional life. Like, how do you, I know you always hear, like, do your devotions, and you're like, what does that mean, okay? We're actually going to give you some, like, hands-on how-to, walk you through, open your Bible, like, read something, write something, pray something, how to do devotional life every day. Is that cool? Helpful? Yeah, I know, because it's like, that's the great question. Tell us to do that. I have no idea how, Ben. So we're going to do that, okay? And, but tonight, what I want to talk to you about is living a satisfied life that drives your decision-making, how many of you have ever had to make a decision before? Put your hands in the air, right? Okay? Right now, you have to decide to raise your hand or not, okay? Like, it's very simple, right? And I want to tell you that a satisfied heart or a satisfied life will always make wise decisions, okay? There's these really fun sayings from back in the day that say, never go grocery shopping when you are hungry. Everybody knows. Never go clothes shopping when you are Naked. <laughs> Naked. You can say this. They're like, oh, we're at church. Okay? Right? You never go clothes shopping when you're naked because you'll buy anything. 
You've never heard that before? Maybe that's just in my, lo- my little world. Right? What? It must be from Arizona where, like, you, yeah, it's hot enough to be. Anyway. <laughs> I'm t- Moving on. Right. Okay. So I love that we laugh together, but we got to keep it on track somehow. So, but you get that idea. You don't go grocery shopping when you're not, when your stomach isn't satisfied. Do you know why? No, you should not go grocery shopping when you're starving because you'll make stupid purchase decisions. You'll buy, like, you'll buy all tasty cakes, cookies, hot pockets. You'll buy, I know, and you guys are all like, what's wrong with that? Like, it's not good for your body, okay? So that's the deal. So, listen, I want to draw that parallel because I think you all understand that. It's like, oh, yeah. And, like, here's the other thing. is kind of like when you're lonely, you make bad decisions, right? When you're lonely, you're just kind of like, oh, I guess I'll just go to some chat room on the Internet and talk to a total stranger. You don't do that when you're surrounded by all your friends. You're like, why would I do that? I have friends, right? And then, like, the other one is you make really bad decisions when you're bored. Right? Oh, my gosh. The stories I could tell you from my childhood when I was just bored and I was like, this would be a great idea. No, we don't have time. You've probably, shh, you've probably heard most of them before, but I could throw some other people under the bus, but I won't tonight. Anyway. All right. Here's the other one. You make really bad decisions when you're tired. I heard it. Very good. How does everybody agree with me on this? Yeah. It's like and what so let's list them. You make bad decisions when you are hungry, tired, alone or bored. Or angry. Angry. Ooh, angry's a good one, okay? So, we can agree on that, right? Go through it again on your hand. I don't care what order. You make bad decisions when you are tired. Bored, alone, angry, or hungry, right? This is really good stuff, right? These are good action steps. So listen. I know. All, All of those conditions of your life are the result of dissatisfaction in some way, shape, or form. If you're alone, you are not satisfied by relationship and friendship, right? If you are tired, you are not satisfied by enough rest for your body. If you're hungry, you're not satisfied by enough food for what you need to, like, to be nourished. If you're angry, you're not satisfied by kindness around you and people being unstupid, right? Because the only reason we ever get angry is other people are stupid. Right? I mean, it's not my fault that I'm angry. It's stupid people. So if everyone would stop being stupid, I wouldn't be so angry, right? Oh, my gosh. I'm not, that's not preaching because that was really, really, what's the word, facetious or sarcastic. Sarcastic. I don't know what facetious means, but it sounds like I'm smart. Anyway, so here's the deal. I want to read for you guys a story out of the Bible that you've heard before. I hope there's details. I hope there's revelation that locks into your heart in a new way tonight as we read it. Now, I need you to do something. Because of my ADD, 
I have a very hard time just reading through something and not stopping and filling in a bunch of little details and stuff. Those of you that know me, this is like seriously true. So if I stop in the middle of reading, I want you all to just point and go bang. I'm serious. If I stop to like try to elaborate, just, and then I'll go, sorry, okay? And I'll get through the story and then I will elaborate. Is that fair? Are you cool? So I need you to tune in on this story though, because listen, you all need to like, everybody, Make a little circle with your hands about this big, and I want you to put it on the back of your head. That's a yarmulke you just put on your head, okay? So you're going to pretend that you're all little Jewish boys. I, I'm so sorry, girls. Are like, Psh. no, okay? Listen. Shh. 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 It's totally okay. My goodness. Jesus was a little Jewish boy. All right? You can take your hands down. You don't have to hold them. Shh. Right back out here, right? Right back up here. What I want you to do, okay, because, like, this story, I'm sorry, girls, was about Jewish boys. So we're going to step into the story and use our imagination to put ourselves in what we might be feeling, what we might be experiencing, if this was us, okay? So you are children of Judah, okay, who are the Jewish boys. So when we talk about the people of Judah, that's you, okay? Everybody, shh, give me focus, so... We can get through this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He whooped their butts. Okay. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, okay, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. The king ordered Ashpen, Ashpenaz whatever, king of the court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, the young men, okay, or young boys, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. You with me on that? I'm just pausing. I'm not going to elaborate, okay? Whew, I wasn't. Among... Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave Shadrach. To Mishael, he gave Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego, right? We've heard these. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my, I am afraid of my Lord and King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should, he, or why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance in 10 days with that of the young men who eat of the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away 
uh, their choice food and the wine that they were given or that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom, wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Wow! Ten times better than all of the enchanters and magicians in his entire kingdom. Now listen, if you know the story that continues from here, there's some really cool stuff happens, right? The big golden statue, and they're like, bow down. The king's like, bow down to it. And they were like, sorry, not going to go there, right? And he's like, well, I have to throw you in the fiery furnace then, and all that stuff. And then Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den because he prays to God every day, and they tricked him into this whole thing. Now listen to me, though. Daniel and his three friends were ripped out of their home, out of their country, basically made as slaves, and were forced to move into a kingdom that was completely contrary to what they were convinced of in their hearts. They knew God. They had heard his word. They had heard the prophets. They had known the truth of God's word, and they lived their lives in a way that was convinced and satisfied by the power of the God they served. So when they were ripped from their homes, put in this place, and the, king, and the king's assistant guy says, well, here's the choice meat and wine that you guys are to do, they immediately, by their convictions, by the satisfaction in their hearts with the God that they served, said, we cannot do that. Daniel said, I will not defile myself by eating that meat. What did that mean? In those days, most meats that people ate were first sacrificed to the gods of their people. And God very clearly gave instructions to the Jewish people in Leviticus and in the law that you will never to eat of any meat sacrificed to a false god or an idol. So these young men knew and were satisfied in their heart with their God. I'm going to say that a million times tonight. And it drove the decisions that they made as they moved forward. And here's the key and the kicker. God honored it. It was totally contrary. They literally were like, we can't do that. You're talking to the king who just kills people for fun. He's going to kill his own assistant because the assistant comes and says, guys, you have to eat this because if you show up all like weak and pathetic, he's going to have my head. And Daniel goes, well, I get what you're saying, but I cannot, cannot, even for the sake of your head, defile myself. But he said, I trust and I know my God because I'm satisfied and fully convinced of who he is that if you test us for 10 days, you make a decision based on what you see. So he, they stood on their convictions and said, we won't. And in 10 days, I mean, a 10-day like diet probably wouldn't make a radical change in anybody's body, right? I mean, 10 days of dieting, like how many of you have tried that? Failed, right? Me? I have, right? This year, okay? Had a cookie last night. It was good. Anyway, but... Listen, Daniel and his friends stood in this place and said, give us 10 days, and you decide based on what you see. At the end of the 10 days, this assistant goes, dude, he pulls all the meat and the wine and all the choice stuff from all the other people. 
that were being trained up for the same job. He's like, this is ridiculous. These kids are healthier. They're stronger. They're faster. And it says that God gave them great knowledge. Okay, God endowed these young men with these incredible abilities for knowledge and wisdom and all this kind of stuff. And you see how that pans out down at the end when they finally come. It was three years that they went through this process to be prepared for the king. They never even stood before Nebuchadnezzar for three years. So in the first 10 days, they're like, hey, let's try something. And the guy was like, that's probably fair. I got two some years to make up for it, right? So three years, these guys lived on vegetables and water. I know. Woo! I know, for some of you vegetarians. But listen to me. This, this is not like the great, grand, godly diet plan, okay? There's all kinds of books that say, oh, my gosh, this was so anointed from God. No, it wasn't about what they did eat. It was about what they stood for in their principles and what they refused to step into. It was way more about the fact that they would not be defiled by the system that ruled and reigned their environment. They would stand and say, no, our God said, and we trust him. And they made good decisions in this moment because they were fully satisfied with a God that they could trust. You tracking? So this goes on, and you see that they're already 10 times more brilliant than all the other guys after three years. 10 times. That's pretty good. That's like full ride anywhere you want to go. Okay, because the magicians and the enchanters or whatever they said in there were the top dog wise men of the, of, of the whole realm, of the whole kingdom. These were the guys the king kept off on the side. Anytime he didn't know what to do, he asked them. They were the advisors to the king. And as you know, the story goes, right, there's this whole thing where the king has this crazy dream, and he goes to his wise men very shortly after this, and he goes, he goes hey, guys, I, I had this dream, and I need to know what the interpretation is. And they all said, okay, king, tell us the dream, and we'll interpret. And he says, no, I've committed, and I've decided that you need to tell me my dream and the interpretation, or I will kill you all. I know, right? It's like, uh, right? So there's this whole deal that happens, and Daniel kind of pulls aside one of the guys and says, like, hey, guys, um, give me one shot at this. Okay? One shot. Because this is the night before they're all supposed to be beheaded, because none of them, they're like, we're done. It's over, right? And Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were part of this, right? They were part of the wise men. They, had been, they were ten times smarter than all the other dudes in this group, so they were part of, you're going to die. At that point, you start going, God, we committed to you. We ate vegetables for three years. And this, put yourself in their shoes. Come on, God, you made us really brilliant, smart, and now this guy's going to take our heads off tomorrow. But Daniel, once again, satisfied by who his God was, stood firm and said, give me till tomorrow. And then he went and talked to God. This is boldness. This is satisfaction. This is knowing who you are and knowing who your God is. But he said, I'm going to do this. Went to God and said, hey, God, need some help. Next day, Daniel goes before the king. And this is like stupid to do if you're not dead sure who you are and what's going on, right? He comes and he tells the king his exact dream and the interpretation. Gets elevated in the kingdom. Gets elevated in the kingdom all the way up through. And we know all these stories, right? We hear this like, and then it ends up like, and the name, this is even crazier. And I love, Chris Vallathan talks about this some too. It's like, Daniel was given the name Belshazzar. Anybody know anything about that name? It was the name of one of their gods. 
So the king said, I'm going to name that one after one of my gods. And he really, really, really liked this name because he also named, the king also named his firstborn son, Belshazzar. So this was like, but pretty much, how do you feel about being like ripped out of your culture, the whole deal, all that jam, and then being named after a false god? Like, let's just like take you over like, okay, we're going to name you Satan. He'd be like, ah, can you call me something else? Like, do you know what I'm saying? But listen, there's something, there's revelation in this reality because of Daniel knowing who he was. Is listen, you can't, listen to me really close on this, you can't control what people call you. You can only control the decisions you make and who you know you are. Daniel said, okay, call me Belshazzar. I'll show you a God who's more powerful. He's like, you can call me whatever you want. How many have ever been called a name that you don't like? You can't control that. I'm so sorry, but punching him in the mouth isn't going to fix it. Okay? Don't sh- no, it might not. It probably won't. It'll probably make it worse. And I'm not like a super pacifist. Like, just hug him and don't call me that. You know, like, but listen to me. Daniel wasn't so concerned because you get all mixed up. You're kind of like, he wouldn't even eat meat, but he'll take on the name of a false god. And you kind of go like, huh. I don't know that he personally walked around saying, hi, I'm Belshazzar. I'm Belshazzar. He probably went around and said, I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel. But the whole kingdom referred to him as a false god. Yet his convictions and his absolute satisfaction set him in motion. And then as you see it go on down the line, the, all the other wise men got really upset with him, right, and jealous because he got raised up and raised up and raised up to ruling in the kingdom. Listen to me. He was in a completely pagan Satan-run, multi-god kingdom, and Daniel was put in the top position under the king. Sorry, my voice is killing me tonight. But do you catch this? Why was Daniel put in a position like that? Because he was humble, because he was sure, because his heart was satisfied, and he stood his ground. Every way of man's wisdom would have told Daniel to do it totally different. Hey, if you want to get to the top in Babylon when you go there, eat the meat, eat the wine, get, or drink the wine, get close to the king, hang out with the people, do what they do, worship the gods, lay under the radar, and you'll, you'll work your way up to the top. God's wisdom says, stand for who the heck you know you are and what your God says to how to live. And this is like totally applicable. I know we're talking about kings and blah, blah, blah. But I hope you're hearing what this means to your daily life, your culture today. Are you bowing to the idols? Are you eating the choice foods and the wines of the, that the culture that God is clearly saying, come on, I've called you to something really great. I've called you to save yourself for marriage. I've called you to be sharp in mind. I've called you to be sober, to obey the laws of the king that's, that's over you. Like God has called you to a very specific way of living that is not death to you, but it's the vehicle that God will raise you to authority in. Does that make sense? I know people hear the rules of God and be like, oh my gosh, what a killjoy. No, let's look at the life of Daniel. If he didn't choose to eat vegetables for 10 days, well, three years, you would have never heard of him. If he would have simply just eaten the meat, drank the wine, he would have gone on like all the other hundreds of little boys that were in that system For three years to be trained up, you don't hear another one of their names. Just Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood 
for something in a culture that said, you're stupid. You're wrong. You're lame. Why wouldn't you eat this awesome steak? This really good glass of wine, whatever, okay? Do you catch what I'm saying on this? And I guarantee they were offered a whole lot more than steak and wine. Probably women. Probably all kinds of things, opportunities, concubines and mistresses and all the opportunities in this whole system because the whole system was built around sexuality and perversion and the king had hundreds and hundreds of wives that literally just, that's all they were for. That's the culture these guys were brought into. So I guarantee this was just like the broad brush strokes, like, hey, stay off the meat and the wine. I doubt Daniel and his boys were out hanging with all the concubines because they knew who they were and their hearts were committed and satisfied with a God that was greater than this temporary whatever. And it was the thing that took them into places of great authority. And it trickles all the way down because then Daniel, you know, the lion's den, the whole deal, because he got tricked by the other wise men. And then he ended up, you know, the lions didn't eat him. And then the king was like, oh, this is so great because the king loved Daniel and was like, no. And immediately they throw the other wise men who had tricked Daniel into the lion's den. And it says before their bodies hit the ground, they were totally gone. Lions. Before their bodies hit the bottom of the cave, they were devoured, which is like they were hungry, Okay. It wasn't like, oh, they just didn't want Daniel, okay? But we look at this, and then we go, okay, you've got the wisest man in all of Babylon, okay? Babylon was in the east, to the east of Israel, okay? We don't really hear much of what happened after that other than Daniel had some amazing visions and dreams of the end times and the stuff that we still have yet to see come to pass. But then you fast forward into Luke chapter 2 right after the birth of Christ when it talks about wise men from the east coming to find the king who had been prophesied thousands of years before. Where do you think they came from? The school of Daniel in the east who had been established potentially. Okay, I don't know that there's like enough track record on that. But the east was Babylon, plain and simple, still to that day. But Daniel, the highest, most wisdom, laid out a whole school of teaching and training of these magi, as they called them, right? They were the wise men of Babylon. Belshazzar, the false, they were the sorcerers and all the crazy. And Daniel was the chief of all of them, teaching them the ways of God, teaching them the prophecies of God. And those were the wise men that traveled for months and months and months on camels to bring gifts to the baby king Jesus when he was born. Because Daniel lived a life that pointed to a totally satisfied heart before a God he knew. And there was no compromise in his heart. And it drove his decision making as he went through his everyday life. Stand up for me. Anybody hear parts of that whole ordeal they've never heard before? Anybody catch new stuff that you're like, oh, wow, never heard that part before? I mean, we know, like, the fiery furnace. We know the lion's den. That's about it, right? But there's so much richness in who these young men were, and they were not older than you guys when they were pulled from their parents, pulled from their homes, stuck with a pagan king and said, do my ways. And they said, you know what? We're going to serve you, king, However this looks, we're going to serve you, king, but we will not defile 
who we are and who our God has called us to be. So that's my challenge to you guys tonight. And I'm not gonna, I don't have like a big ministry time concept thought out tonight, but I just want to call your hearts into a place of just like, hey, God, I want to be sure, confident, convinced of who you are. And this whole month, I think, like, this is kind of the precursor. Like, this is what we want to shoot for. This is the vision. This is what we live for. This is why we are youth, youth staff. Like, we are here to see you guys rule and run countries someday to work under pagan kings and pagan presidents and whoever it might be. I don't care who's in the White House. I want to know who's advising them. Would it be you? Would God raise you to a place, maybe to be president, maybe to be an advisor in the cabinet of the president? Maybe in a foreign country serving in some manner, maybe serving at the top end of Chick-fil-A. Like, like it doesn't have to be countries. It's like, I'm not called to government, Ben. Good. Where are you called to? God's got a call for your life, and he wants to put you at the top of that place unless you're just going to be like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just chill. See what happens. Daniel was like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to chill. I'm going to serve my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And God goes, that's what I'm talking about. Daniel didn't manipulate anybody, didn't work any cool system. God elevated him to the place that God had called him to be in second of command over all of Babylon. That's crazy. The very country that wiped out his people, Daniel was put there to bring restoration, to bring, it's amazing. So where are you called to? That's a question to ask God this month. Where am I called to, God? I want to know so I can be like sure and convinced But it starts first and foremost. You just have to decide in your heart and in your mind. I am convinced that God is God. If you're playing this silly little game that's kind of like, oh, God, I'll believe in you if I feel something. Or how about believe in who he is and watch what he does in your life? You won't be disappointed. I'm so sorry. But you chase after God for what he can do for you, you might end up disappointed because you're probably chasing yourself more than you're chasing God. But you just say, God, I believe in who you are, and I know you're real. And I don't care what the evidence looks like. There's one song we sing around here lately that's, like, amazing. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Because you're not always going to feel like God is just all over in waves of his presence. And you don't feel that every minute, but you know it. When you commit in your heart, when you're satisfied in your heart that God is who he is, fully filled, fully assured that God is who he is, then he releases into your life in ways that will blow your mind and your senses and your feelings and all that will get wiped out. You'll be like, whoa, too much. Seriously. But if you chase after God for some sensation that makes you feel good, then you're really worshiping you and you'll probably end up disappointed. But I guarantee he'll satisfy every sensation, every feeling, every desire of your heart when you just serve wholeheartedly, commit, and say, no, I'm convinced, and nothing's going to steer me any other direction. Daniel had every other reason in the whole world to be like, maybe my God is stupid because we just got ripped out of our homes, and half my family got wiped out and slaughtered by the sword, and now I'm stuck under this pagan king. Where's my God? didn't sway his decision because he knew who his God was. And that circumstance wasn't going to change that. 
So put your hands in the air for a minute. I'll keep it short. God, thank you. You don't have to repeat after me. I just want to pray over you. God, thank you for these young men and women. Thank you for the calls on their lives. Thank you for the certainty of who you are, God, the evidence of who you are that's all around us, God. Let our eyes be fixed on you, that we'd be searching the earth for the proof of who you are because we'll find it at every turn of every day of our entire lives if that's what we need. But God, we commit our hearts to you tonight. And we praise you and we worship you. And we want to see what you will do in this world. And we want to be at your side while it happens. So God, I pray for conviction over every one of these young people that they would be so resolved in their pursuit of you that nothing will swing them, nothing will sway them, that they would decide in their hearts what will steer their decisions tomorrow and the next day and the rest of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.